we're starting a new a new series this fall. Uh, we're going to do First Samuel. We're going to start in chapter 16 and go all the way to Second Samuel chapter 1 is the goal for this fall. And uh, we're breaking this down again into four three-part mini-series. And so uh, today we're starting a series called Blessing a City in Conflict. And the sermon for today is the Spirit's anointing to bless the city. We're we'll going to be looking at uh, 1 Samuel chapter 16. If you don't have a Bible, it's printed in your bulletin on page 7. It will also be up here on the screen behind me. So give ear now as I read God's word. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem, and he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema pass by. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all of your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. As Saul's servant said to him, Behold now, a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre. And when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he will play it, and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, Provide for me a man who can play well, and bring him to me. One of the young men answered, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me David your son, who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey laden with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat and sent them by David his son to Saul. And David came to Saul and entered his service, and Saul loved him greatly, and he became his armor-bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David remain in my service, for he has found favor in my sight. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. This is God's word. Well, if you know where we are in Samuel, 
the king of Israel has just fallen. Okay? Chapter 15 describes the ultimate demise of Saul. And it confirms at the end of chapter 15, God says, I have rejected Saul and his kingship. And so things were looking bad for Israel. All hope was lost. Saul has rejected God. He didn't want to live in relationship with God. And he even says that he feared people's opinions more than God, and he didn't obey God's words. In chapter 15, verse 24, Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. When Israel took on a king, the intention, God's intention for the king was that, is, was that the king would connect Israel into a deeper relationship with him. Okay, that was the purpose of the king. It was to lead Israel into a deeper relationship with God himself. But now the opposite's happened. First um, Samuel 12, verses 14 and 15, again, just giving you some background. Uh, Samuel says this, If both you, the people, and the king... Who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God. It will be well. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. And so Israel had these amazing promises. This, this amazing inheritance in the, one of the best places to live in the world at the time. They had this amazing promise that God was going to use them to bring blessing to every single nation on earth. And yet, this hope, these promises, this vision has been dashed to bits because of the disobedience of the king. The king has failed and has led Israel into failure. And so Samuel now in our text is mourning because he thinks it's over. He thinks there's no hope. He thinks that to try to grovel back into the presence of God, there's no reason to do that because God has rejected Saul and will ultimately reject Israel. And as I think about that, I think, gosh, any of you feel that way today? I mean, have any of you feeling like you're caught in that place where you have done that thing that you never thought you would or you've done the thing that's become familiar to you again and now there's no hope. Like, why even try? I mean, I think about the vision that we have to see the city of San Diego thrive and flourish, to understand and know God and to know his blessings. And sometimes there's parts of the city that you look at and you think, what are we even, I mean, really? Like, is this just sort of the kind of thing that you, you set a goal that you know you'll never reach, so that you just spend all your time trying to reach it? knowing that you're never going to reach it, but that's okay because the whole point is just to keep you motivated? Or is there really hope? I mean, do you ever feel that despair? Even in the church, we can feel that way, right? I mean, it's not, I mean, personal stuff that we deal with, but then even trying to, to grow as a church, trying to deepen our sense of community here. Do you ever have the sense of why bother? It's not going to work. We've tried this already. Well, what we find in this text is that with God, I mean, this sounds cliche, but with God, there is always hope. Even when we are the ones who are in despair, we see that God comes. And so this is what he does. He comes to Samuel. Samuel is grieving over Saul. And, and God comes to Samuel in verse 1 and says, come on, let's go. Come on, there's hope. I'm not done with Israel. In fact, I'm not even done with the kingship. 
I have chosen a king for myself, unlike the one the people chose. I've chosen one this time. Let's go. It's like God comes to Samuel, wakes him up from his slumber, and says, let's go. Come on. And this is God's message to us today. God is, is drawing near to us. If you see a gap between what, you, what life should be like and what you're experiencing, right? If you see a disparity between your vision for what life is supposed to be like and the reality that you live in, then God's message to you is to give you a vision and a hope that his power can become alive in your life. That's the message of 1 Samuel 16. And that's what's motivating this whole kickoff Sunday. Okay, that's everything here. I mean, it's amazing that God would have this passage for us today. As we kick off a whole year of ministry, as we look ahead to what God wants to do through us in the city, I mean, this is exactly what we need. If we're going to try to do our part to bless San Diego this year, we need God to speak to us. And he's going to speak to us today in three ways. First, we're going to see that that David gets God's vote and connects to God's spirit. Secondly, David develops in maturity to live in the disparity between promise and reality. I'll give these back to you when we come to them in the sermon. And then last, we're going to see that while in the disparity, David is released to serve and bless the city by the power of the Spirit. Okay, that's where we're going. We're going to see connect, develop, and release. So first, connecting. David gets God's vote and connects to God's Spirit. This is verses uh, 1 to 13. Samuel does get up and go with the Lord. The Lord takes him down to Bethlehem to anoint his king. And it's interesting because as Samuel goes, he almost commits Israel to a second generation of of misery. Okay, Israel erred in their choosing of Saul as their king. Right, we saw this last fall. Um, the, The choice they made was based on Saul's appearance. Upon you know, he was good looking and he was tall. And Samuel almost commits the exact same uh, error in terms of choosing uh, the next king. Look at verse 6. When they came, he, Samuel, looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Eliab, we find out next chapter, was the firstborn. He was the firstborn son. And so Samuel thinks, okay, well, it makes sense, right? If this is the family, the firstborn son ought to be ought to be the king, right? This is just how life worked back then. The, the, the firstborn was given rights and privileges, um, and so Samuel saw him. We also find in verse 7 that, uh, that he also was good-looking, and he was tall. And so verse 7 tells us that, and again, those are the two ways that Saul was described in 1 Samuel 9, chapter, or chapter 9, verse 2. And so again, Samuel, this is the prophet of God who goes. It's interesting because if you remember in Saul's fall, one of the things that Saul did was he didn't wait for God. Right? Samuel told him, Saul, wait seven days and I will come to you and then we'll offer the sacrifice to honor God before you go into battle. Saul waits seven days, doesn't see Samuel, and then he takes it upon himself and usurps the right of the priest to offer sacrifice. And that was one of the things he did to be rejected by God. Well, here, Samuel is told by God, I want you to go down there and anoint the one whom I have chosen. Okay? And so Samuel goes down, and instead of waiting for the Lord to speak, right, he 
waits through, he needs to wait through seven sons before he gets to the one that God will choose, but he doesn't. He sees the first one and, and, and he fails. He's about to anoint him. He was going to anoint him. And so I think for us, Samuel shows our need, right? He shows that even for a prophet, right, even a prophet himself is dependent on the word of God, okay? If the prophet needs to wait to hear from the Lord and be careful not to run too far out or to run ahead of the Lord, then how much more do we, right? We need to make sure um, that we need to be careful. It seems that in a sense, God's wisdom is the one that's adequate for directing his kingdom, God is the one who's going to choose. And we need to be careful about the impressiveness of external appearances. Okay, because when God comes in verse 7, he says, The Lord said to Samuel, Don't look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I've rejected him. For the Lord sees not as a man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And one author said this about this passage. He says, What we seem to want are the movers and shakers. When we look for leaders, we want the aggressive extroverts, the pushers who meet people well and can sell the church in the community, people who are smooth in the pulpit. Do we ever ask, how does he pray? Does he love his wife well? Would his wife say that he loves her well? Sometimes it seems like God has to save us from the saviors that we would choose. If we're left to our own devices, uh, oftentimes our self-chosen solutions to our problems will actually make the problem worse. And so Samuel here, I think, <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a really good caution for us that as we go running out into the city, as we try to take on a year of ministry, we need to be careful again. And we talked about this last week, that we are seeking the Lord, that we're going before him and asking God, is this what you want from us? Is this the ministry area that you have selected for us? You know, and by God's grace, I feel like we've been doing that over the summer. And I feel like with confidence we can say that about these areas that we have, that we're, that we're presenting today. And so, in a sense, God saves Samuel and Israel. Right? He saves Samuel from making a foolish decision. And then he saves Israel from, again, another generation of misery. And we see here that God looks at the heart you know, so God doesn't play to our standards. The stuff that we look at, we need to be careful. We need to line up our expectations with God's expectations, right, instead of the other way around. And I guess it's interesting, too, because there are some who would take a verse like this and say, okay, well, so God chooses, there's other passages in the Bible where it says God chooses the weak things of the world to put to shame the wise because he wants to show that it's his power at work and not their own strength. And that's great. There are other people that, would, that, that have said, they almost sort of overreact the other way. And they would say that if you have any sort of worldly gift, then you're disqualified from leadership, right? Or if you're good looking, then God must not have chosen you because you've got worldly, you've got a worldly, um, you've got worldly, uh, you've got things that the world would say, you know, qualify you. Um, and, and that's not true. We find that out because when we see David finally, when David shows up, in verse 12, he was ruddy, he had beautiful eyes, and he was handsome. Okay, and so again, the point is that God looks at the heart. Okay, the heart is where God looks, and the heart is how God judges and evaluates who ought to lead. And so it doesn't, so I mean, so if you were, 
just thinking there for a minute that, well, I'm too good looking to be a leader in God's church. There's hope for you. There's hope for you. All right. <laughs> and so the good news here, too, is that you've kind of got this dramatic tension. It kind of reminds me of, of the Garden of Eden when God brings, you know, he's trying to find a helper suitable for Adam. You know, and he parades the animals. They come to, the, to Adam and he names them, but there isn't a helper found for him. It's almost like God is building the drama, right, and driving home the need. That's, that's kind of what we see here. You know, we see seven sons pass before Samuel. You know, and Samuel says, not this one, not this one, not this one, not this one. And you kind of get to the point where, you know, maybe if you were savvy, you would think, oh, it's going to be the seventh. If the first one's not chosen, it must be the seventh. And so you're waiting for all of them. And you have this feeling God's going to choose the seventh one. And then you hear no for the seventh time. There's dramatic tension here in the story, right? You're wondering, well, what's going to happen? Like, there's nobody else here, right? Maybe there isn't going to be another king. Maybe there isn't going to be hope for Israel. And yet God I mean, this is what God does. God, Romans 4 says that God calls things which don't exist into existence. God can take things which are impossible and bring possibility out of them. God can even raise people from the dead to give them new hope and new life. And that's kind of what we see here in this passage. There are no other sons, and yet God causes one, figuratively speaking, to rise from the dead. Samuel says, isn't there anybody, is there anybody else? Oh, well, there's one other guy. Yeah, but he's out tending the sheep. You know, we don't think much about him. Um, we find out why as the, as the story gets told in later chapters. And so as bad as things get, okay, when all hope seems to be lost, when it looks as though you've gone through all seven of your options and there still is no solution from the Lord, this chapter is telling you that there is still hope, that you're living, that, that if you know Jesus, that you are in relationship with a God who can even raise the dead. He can do miracles. He can do miracles. And so there is hope. And there's incredible hope. So, I mean, not only has God, you know, can God pull out victory in the midst of certain defeat, not only can God give us hope in the greatest sense of despair, but even beyond that, God does the same thing in us. Okay, what do I mean by that? Well, you can't control a lot of things about yourself, right? You can't control how tall you are. You have relatively little control over how good-looking you are. You know, most of what the world says qualifies you to be a leader is stuff that tends to be outside of your control. The good news for us is that the only thing God cares about is your heart. The only thing He cares about the one thing that qualifies you for service is your heart. And that you do have control over. Right? You choose every day who you're going to serve. Every day, you know, throughout the day, you make decisions based on who you will honor. And so God... In a sense, what is it, Second Chronicles 16.9 that says, For the eyes of the Lord are roaming throughout the earth, looking for someone whose heart is devoted to him. God is looking for people who are after his own heart. And so if your heart is to love God, if your desire is to love and serve him, then God will use you. He will. He'll use you. 
And so David comes, he connects with God. God chooses him. You know, he's anointed by this, with the horn of oil and he's filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, I love it, right? It says, um, where's the verse 13? I'm sorry, verse, uh, yeah, yeah. So the end of verse 13, and the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David. You know, it's kind of like, you know, like hits him, like it rushes upon him. It's kind of exciting. Who's experienced that? Show of hands. No, I mean, really, every time we renew our faith, okay, if you, if you are, I mean, even right now, if you believe in Jesus for the first time or for the 101st time, you have a greater sense that God's spirit has come upon you. There's an experience of God. There's a real relationship that happens when you believe in him. When you say, God, I just want what you want for my life. God, I am sorry that I have wandered away from you and I want to come back. Would you please forgive me? If you can pray that right now, if you pray, God, I have drifted away from you and I need to come back and I want to come back now, will you please forgive me? And if that's the hundredth time you've done that, when you do that, God responds. And it doesn't always mean this incredible rushing that bowls you over physically, but there's this sense of contentment, of peace, of assurance that God really has forgiven you and that you are connected back with him. And so one thing that's interesting, this is something that, I don't know if you, if you noticed this, David isn't named until after the Spirit comes upon him. Until after he's anointed. Verse 13, like, is the first time David is named. He's always called this other son. Um, he's not referred to. I think it's intentional. It's intentional. It's it, the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And the idea here is that it's the coming of the Spirit that enables David to understand his real identity. David, apart from the Spirit, isn't truly David. Okay? You, apart from God's Spirit, isn't truly you. God wants to work in your life. God wants to do things for you, in you. He wants to do things through you. He wants to set you loose in the city to love and to share grace with people. And you aren't that person until His Spirit comes, until you connect with God by the power of his spirit, until you receive his spirit, you're not truly you. Now, I, I want to have a time just real quick. I mean, I want to do this a few times here in the sermon in this area of connecting, because that's what David's doing. David is connecting with God through the spirit. You know, and we have our desire this year is to help people connect to Christ, is to be used by God for us as we connect to him to help others connect. And we want to see people connect to Christ in, you know, through homelessness, uh, in terms of people who live in the East Village and then people who are part of the gay and lesbian community. We want to see them connecting to Christ. And so I want to have a, a, just a short time, just a few minutes, where I'm going to ask if any of you have seen God at work connecting people to Christ in these areas or in your life, um, could you just share? I mean, just real briefly, don't, don't take a long time, but has anybody seen God at work in these areas already that might encourage us that he's already going. Mark, go ahead. That's good. I know there's a lot more. I'm sure that, that some of you can share. We'll have a couple other opportunities for to, to get some sharing a little bit later in the sermon. Um, 
But I guess what we're seeing here, I mean, these are examples of what happens when the Spirit comes upon you. When the Spirit comes upon you, God draws near, you feel welcome. Um, as a church, we grow, we can trust the Lord, and then we can share that love with other people. And so, so yeah, so we see that David gets God's vote and he connects to God's Spirit. Now, our second point, our second point in our outline um, is that David develops in maturity to live in the disparity between promise and reality. Okay, David develops in maturity to live in the disparity between promise and reality. This is verses 14 to 20. It's kind of ironic. I mean, sort of irony like Diana just talked about that, you know, he's elected by God in this secret ceremony with Samuel uh, and his family and that it's we have a scene change, right? It's like, you know, the, the oil is being poured over David. The spirit comes rushing upon him and it fades to black, right? And then the, the, the scene opens up and you see Saul in his court having a really hard time. And all of a sudden, you know, through this conversation, um, Saul elects, so, you know, Saul then turns around and elects David to come as the chosen one who will be part of his court. Okay, so it's like God chooses him in verses 1 to 13 and then Saul chooses him in verses 14 to 20. You know, and it's interesting because if you were, if you look at this, I think with the eye of faith, you would see this as God following up, right? God anoints David. He's going to be the next king. And then the next thing that we see is that Saul invites David into the court. So, you know, I guess I could have been imagined, you know, as David gets on this donkey, right? And he's riding up to, uh, you know, to see Saul. I mean, who knows what was going through his mind, but, you know, potentially he might've been thinking like, God is getting me ready. I am going to be king. You know, at the end of this journey, there are going to be people with palm branches throwing down, you know, praising my name and cheering for me. And I'm going to go in and I'm going to take the crown off of Saul's head. And God's going to put it on my own head. And I'm going to rule and reign. And life's really going to be good because I know how to fix everything Saul's broken down, right? I mean, maybe that's what, what was going through David's head. But what he finds, actually, is that he's brought into the court. He's brought into Saul's court and asked, actually, to make Saul feel better. Okay, he's given the role of the harpist. Okay, David, uh, Saul was experiencing, I mean, we see he was, he was experiencing this problem. And so David doesn't come in and, and receive the crown, but it actually comes in and is put in a place where he actually has to serve. You know, he's given this promise that he will be the next king. And yet when he gets to Saul's court, his experience, the reality that he has to endure is one that is far from that. Right? Does that make sense? And so it's almost like no sooner, and this, this, this shouldn't surprise us, okay, that no sooner had the Spirit come upon David, that David is not just put up in, in, in ruling leadership. Because usually what the Spirit does, when the Spirit comes upon you, he puts you into the gap between promise and reality okay when the spirit comes upon you you should expect not that all of your life will suddenly turn out right but that god will put you in the midst in that disparity he will put you in that gap between god's promise and your reality okay does that make sense and so um and the idea here is that this is really what David needs. 
Right? David needs to mature. He's not ready yet to take over the kingship. And so God puts him in the place where he can see the job being done, where he can watch the job, where he can get to know. It's, it's really almost like a training ground for him to take over ultimately for Saul. But at this point, David's got some heart work he has to deal with. David's got to work out in his own heart. Is he willing not to take the job because he wants to be the king, but is he willing to actually come in and serve? And the way to prove that you are able to serve in leadership is to serve without leadership, right? And so God puts him here in the gap between promise and reality. And what do we find here? Well, David honors the king. David doesn't try to undermine the king. David learns patience and maturity, you know, and again, I can imagine David getting there and saying, wait a second, what is this? God, you promised me. You, pro- you said I was going to be the king, and here I am, and yet he's still there. And, and i got to make him better? Like, I've got to keep him from falling? I mean, how does that work, God? What, what, really? And so where you see that gap in your life, that gap between God's promise and the reality that you're experiencing today, that is an opportunity for maturity. Okay, that's how you need to think about that gap. When you sense the gap between where you feel like God has promised or your own vision for what life could be and what it is, that's an opportunity for you to mature. It's an opportunity for you to grow. David has to endure this unbelievable trial of being anointed but not enthroned anointed but not enthroned he has the promise but needs to sacrifice his right he doesn't grasp the promise and take it by force but he needs to wait until god puts him on the throne now who's up for that (laughs) you know i mean really like this is a difficult thing to do right when you think about issues at work when you think about issues in your in your marriage with your kids, in your family, with your neighbors. When you think about issues, like we are constantly plagued with this gap, right? It feels like we're constantly thrust into this gap between what it should be and what it is. And so as a church this year, we need to develop. We want to grow. We want to mature. And so we want to develop Christians to gospel maturity. And we want to do this through um, developing an intentional discipleship plan that will help people grow. We want to do it by deepening community here at Harbor. And so I want to open this up again and and ask, does anybody have something they want to share? An area where in your life you've seen God doing this development process. An area where you feel like you've seen God give the grace and the strength to live in that gap. So yeah, so this is the second point here again, just to repeat, is that we see David developing in maturity, right? Being forced to live in this gap between promise and and reality and that's an opportunity for him to grow to grow our third point is that while he's in this disparity david is released to serve and bless the city by the power of the spirit okay so while he's in this disparity david is released to serve and bless the city by the power of the spirit this is verses 21 to 23 this is remarkable how this fits in with harbor's vision Uh, of connecting developing and releasing because Saul is experiencing the effects he's feeling the effects of life without God okay Saul has rejected God Saul has turned his back on God Saul has has he's just he's walked away from God and doesn't want to come back 
And so what's happened to him is that he has, that God has allowed Saul to leave him. Okay? God isn't a terrorist. Um, God isn't a tyrant. God won't force you to be in relationship with him. And so if you turn your back on God, there is a time at which God will say, well, if you really want to go, I'm not going to hold you anymore. I'm going to let you go. And so Saul has done that. And now we see in this passage um, that Saul is being tormented. Right? Verse 14, the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. You know, some people have thought that this is a demon that God has put into his life. That's not necessarily the way to understand this. The word that's used, spirit, here is also translated as like a frame of mind. Okay, it's like a spirit of jealousy. Okay, it doesn't mean there's like a, a demon of jealousy. It just means sometimes we have a spirit of jealousy that sort of overcomes us. The feelings of jealousy, a frame of mind of jealousy. Um, in Isaiah, the, you know, the phrase, there's a spirit of deep sleep that comes over somebody. You know, and again, we're not talking about a demon who causes people to fall asleep. We're talking about a disposition or a frame of mind. Uh, the Bible also uses the phrase a spirit of wisdom or a spirit of grace. And again, these aren't demonic spirits. These aren't person spirits. These are frames of mind. And so I think what we're seeing here is just that this is what happens when you leave God. This is just what happens with life when you wander from God. To live without God, just it never leads to happiness. Okay, God built life. Okay, he created life to be lived in a relationship with him. Okay, he's designed life to be most fulfilling, most satisfying, to bring us the most joy, the most real happiness if it's lived in relationship with him. And so it's no wonder that when Saul rejects God and wanders away, that this begins to happen, that things begin to unravel in his life. And I mean, I've felt this. You know, you drift far away from God. I mean, haven't you felt that before? You start walking away, you begin to ignore him. You know, you start doing things, you start not thinking about him and things just sort of fall apart. They fall apart because, and it's not because God is being mean. It's not because he's being vindictive, but God is simply saying, boy, if you're going to make these decisions, if you're going to choose to live in this way, this is what happens. You know, when you cut yourself off from me, God says, I'm the source of joy and peace and happiness and goodness and kindness and gentleness and self-control, right? I'm the source of all these things. And so to cut yourself off from me means to cut yourself off from all those things. Now, what's interesting, though, is that God also provides relief. You know, and, and we kind of see, I think this is a great example of, of Romans 8.28 where it says God causes all things to work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. We see here how God is working everything out. Okay, By allowing Saul to have a spirit of torment and, and, and to, to start kind of going down into depression, God is doing a bunch of things. Right, He's helping Saul understand what life is like without him. He's helping Saul understand that there are consequences to our, our sins. And then he's also putting Saul into a position where Saul is going to end up asking for David to come into his court. Okay? So God has paved the way to bring David in. And when David comes, what's interesting is that then that provides David with the training that he needs. 
right? If, if God just got rid of Saul together right at once, David might get thrust in before he's ready for it. And so God is providing for David a training ground so that he can get ready. Plus, I mean, what's interesting is that the solution that God brings not only provides Saul with real relief from the psychosis that he's dealing with, not only does it provide real, le- real relief, but it also is, so the solution is David, right? He provides real relief, but then David himself is an invitation to Saul to come back to God. You see that? I mean, this is where, I mean, it's possible to get relief for all kinds of things that trouble us and ail us that are apart from God. God is that gracious. There are people who provide counseling, who provide advice and wisdom that are completely apart from anything to do with God. And you can get real relief oftentimes. I mean, that's why they're in business. You get real relief from them, but you want to be careful not to seek a solution that's going to keep you cut off from God. You want to make sure that returning to the Lord is part of the solution that you're seeking. And David combines those two things. You know, because look how they describe David. Um, in verse 18, one of the main answered, Behold, I've seen the son of Jesse the Bethlehemite, skillful in playing, man of valor, man of war, prudent in speech, a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. And so for Saul, David is a walking testimony that at any point in time, he can turn back to God. At any point in time, like all the blessings that David experiences, all the blessings that, that are part of David's life, can come to Saul if Saul would just turn and repent. If, to, if Saul would just say, okay, God, I'm done struggling. I'm done fighting this. I had an MRI this week um, on my shoulder to you know, see what's going on there. And um, I don't want to tell this story too long because we're already getting late. But um, they, they put you in the tube. And all I ever heard was, be careful, because if you're claustrophobic, it kind of freaks you out, right? So I was like, okay, that's no big deal. Um, and I had, I had some things that I was ready to think through. It was going to take about 45 minutes for you in this tube. And so they're getting me ready. They're taping my arm in the right place so they can get the pictures. And they said, okay, well, here are your headphones. You can either listen to classical music on CD or you can listen to any FM radio station you want. And I said, you know what, that's okay. You know, I actually have some things I want to think about during this time, so I don't really want the headphones. And they said, no, 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 you need the headphones. Um, and I said, well, why? And they said, well, it's really loud. You know, it feels like a jackhammer right next to you. And just the way they said it, I'm like, oh, you guys are, you know, you're exact. You know, thank you. I appreciate it, but I'll be okay. Thanks. And so how many of y'all have had an MRI? So you know what I'm about to say. Um, okay. So they, they, so they lay me down. They said, okay, fine. Well, you have to have earplugs at least. So they hand me these earplugs. I said, that's fine. So I stick these earplugs in. So they put me down, and, you know, I go sliding into the tube, you know. And, you know, the, the ceiling's like this far away from me, right? So it's like this. So it really is. I'm thinking, boy, if I were claustrophobic, this would be a bummer. <laughs> so it starts to click, like, and I'm like, oh, this is kind of neat. You know, I'm trying to listen for a pattern and, you know, um, and listen to see if there is a pattern in, in, the, in the noises and stuff. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> I mean, that's literally how it was. And not just for five seconds, but for like 45 seconds. And then it goes off, and I'm thinking, boy, that was a bummer. My goodness, are you kidding me? And then it starts up again, and it goes on for over a minute. 
And now I'm freaking, I'm starting to freak out. I'm like, this is really uncomfortable. I don't think, and I'm jerking every time it comes on because it startles me. And they told me to, you know, that I need to stay still. And I'm thinking, boy, and I'm trying to imagine, maybe this would be the kind of torture that you'd get at the early stages if you ever got caught and, you know, on the, on the wrong side of enemy line. And so I'm, I'm running through all this stuff. And then finally the lady, the, 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 the nurse, you know, mics in and says, um, how are you doing in there? And I said, um, could I have those earphones, please? <laughs> and so she pulls me out. I got the earphones on. I went back in, and it was a lot better that way. Uh, <laughs> could you turn that up some more, please? Why am I saying this? Well, I mean, for Saul, it was like Saul's life turned into this MRI without the headphones. And all he had to do was say, I mean, every time David would come and play, maybe David would say, you know what, Saul, I feel the, the peace that you now feel when I come to the Lord and just confess my sins. I feel the peace of God envelop me when I know that he's in control and I'm following him. Gosh, Saul, could you, you know, this is your, I mean, maybe he didn't say that. I don't know if he did, but that's all Saul needed to do. And he could experience not just temporary relief, but he could experience permanent relief and instead i mean this is the tragedy and we'll watch this i mean what we're going to see in this whole series is sort of this upward arc of david and this downward spiraling of saul and that's what happens when we live life with god or without him and so i just want to invite you if you are living where saul is if you're ignoring god or if you've rejected him god is inviting you back god wants you to come back And he's not ready to like stomp on you. He's not going to beat you up when you come. He's going to say, I'm so glad finally that you've come back. He's going to open his arms wide and bring you back in. I mean, that's what God does. That's what his love and his grace does for us. And it keeps us from the incredible noise of the MRI. Because, I mean, isn't life that way sometimes? Where you feel like, oh, I just want to escape from this? I mean, this is the relief that God provides. And so what we see here, that's it. I can do all things through him who strengthens me, through the earphones that he puts over my ears so that I can hear what is right and true and good and honorable from Philippians 4. And so what we see here is that David takes his maturity and then he turns around. Instead of undermining Saul, instead of belittling Saul, David blesses Saul the leader of the country, the one even who has been rejected by God. David goes in and spends his life trying to bring peace and security, trying to bring shalom into the life of Saul. And that's our call. That's our call. God releases us into the city, not to beat it up, not to point fingers, not to, you know, but to love it and to share God's love and grace with it. And that's our call. And so this year, um, in terms of this releasing area, the big areas that we want to focus on are the areas of faith and work. Um, Because, boy, I mean, if any area needs to see the integration of of God's love and grace, it's the workplace and then also the rest ministry that Noel talked about. And so, again, just real briefly, maybe just one person share, if there's any way that you've seen God um, show up and, and, and show his grace in terms of just the area of faith and work, you know, if you'd like to share that with us today. So the point here, I mean, that we're looking at, we're watching David, we're watching his election and and putting into service here under Saul is that we all live in this gap, right? We all experience this gap between promise and reality. And the call for us is to mature, 
as we live in that gap, God wants us to mature. And he's done some things for us to enable us to do that, right? He gives us his spirit, right? We connect to him first before we can mature because we need the spirit. The spirit is what causes us to grow. And then from that maturity, then we go into the city uh, in, in different ways. We love each other. We love the folks around us. We love our neighbors um, and our communities. And we can do all this. We can stand in the gap because someone has stood in the gap for us. You know, as I've thought through this and I look at the life of David, I think about Jesus. You know, Jesus ultimately is the one that God chose to be the king. Jesus is the one who was anointed with the spirit at his baptism. Jesus was the one that God said, this is my son, which is another way of talking about the king. This is the king. Listen to him. Jesus came to this earth not to rule over it with a rod of iron, but when he came, he came specifically to go into the gap, the gap between what we are and what God calls us to be. You know, and it's because he was willing to do that, because he came to roll up his sleeves, right? He came to serve us. He didn't come to take the title of God to himself, but he emptied himself. Philippians 2 says that he took on the form of a servant, you know, the opposite of a king. He came as a servant and was obedient to serve you all the way up to the point of death, even death on a cross. And it's his willingness to serve you. It's his willingness to go to the point where he gave up his own life. The gap between, in a sense, heaven and earth could not be bridged outside of the cross. But that's what he did. In his death, he has made a way. He has bridged the gap between heaven and earth in his death so that we can now connect to God through him. So that because of what he's done for you, you can come to God and receive the spirit. And it's that spirit, it's his life in you that enables you to follow him into the gaps in your own life and also into the city so that you can serve. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you. We thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he was willing to go into the gap for us. To think about the hell that he endured for our sake. Father, if there are people here who haven't yet connected with you, would you lead them back? Would you help them see your goodness and help them just to pray, God, forgive me. I need your grace. I've wandered away from you and been apart from you for too long. Please forgive me because of Jesus and help me to follow you. Father, if there are those here who are in the gap now and aren't feeling that they're growing, they aren't feeling your maturing power, I pray, God, that you would draw near to them. Help them also to come back to the cross, confess their sins, and would you let your spirit rush upon each one of us, filling us with your presence so that we would sense your work in us and be inspired to go out and touch the folks around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.